0: the new movie *Air*, Matt Damon plays the role of Sonny Vaccaro. I actually have a picture here to show the um, the picture of Sonny, who he was in real life, and Matt Damon in the movie. I watched it the other night. The year was 1984, and Sonny was visiting, or sorry, Sonny was sitting in his recliner in one particular scene, having just finished his aluminum TV dinner at the end of the day, hanging back in his recliner simultaneously watching TV, and tapes of Michael Jordan. It had been a long and frustrating day because his work at Nike as a basketball talent scout was going underappreciated, to say the least. They were trying to get Nike into a greater market share of the basketball shoe business. They were frustrated because all the top players that they wanted to sign at that time had pretty much already committed to Adidas or Converse. Sonny, again, somewhat in despair, is just re-watching Michael Jordan, and particularly his 1982 national championship game, where he hits the game-winning shot for North Carolina as a freshman. I, too, have a picture of that game-winning shot, and you can look at that just perfect form. The man is levitating as he, was, as he had that legendary status. And in watching that moment in the movie, Sonny had a revelation, he hit rewind to watch that play, that moment, over and over and over again. In the, in the movie, in the scene, the, the camera pans in on him, it pans in on the shot, and he realized at that moment that that shot wasn't just by chance, like a blown play that they'd you know, drawn up, but the shot was drawn up for Michael Jordan when he was a skinny 18-year-old freshman. It wasn't drawn up, in fact, for the best current player on the team who would go number one in that year's draft. In fact, that guy was a decoy. Again, Sonny's just realizing this. And at the time, Dean Smith was the head coach, the legendary coach, and quite honestly, he was allergic to starting true freshmen. And in that time, in that moment and period, he needed a championship win to solidify his reputation, his legacy, and silence the critics. That same Dean Smith drew up a play for Michael. And so Sonny realizes that this 18-year-old kid, again, as he's watching the tape, is calm, cool, and collected. And he easily made the game-winning shot, asking for the ball in the biggest moment of his life. Now, having seen what he and others had been missing, Sonny was confident that Michael wasn't just another risk, another player to give $250,000 for, which was a lot of money in 1984, but that he was undoubtedly going to be one of the greatest players in NBA history. They had to sign MJ and nobody else, throw this kid everything they've got. That's what Sonny was going to do. And so from there on, the rest of the movie, It's all about, again, the movie Air, detailing their pitch to get Michael to sign with Nike. And we know how that turned out. In fact, I think in the first year after they had signed Michael, they sold $164 million worth of shoes in 1984. That's a lot of cash. Today, friends, I too want to share with you something that we've all maybe been missing that's been right before us. You see, last week was Pentecost Sunday, and that's the day that the church has historically celebrated the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit was sent upon the apostles. And the thing that I want to point out that maybe we've missed all along is Christ's ascension. You see, without the ascension, we would have no Pentecost. Without Jesus physically leaving us, we would have no Holy Spirit to dwell in us, all of us, spiritually. Spiritually. Now, to quote scholar Michael Byrd, he says, if the resurrection has been relatively neglected in evangelical theology, the ascension is the poor cousin in the family of the work of Christ. And that's why, ultimately, sometimes it gets neglected. In fact, many for us, Ascension Day, way back on May 18th, just passed us by. And let me tell you something, though. The ascension is essential. The ascension is essential. Now." I'm not convinced that remembering these days with a historic Christian calendar is the answer, although I think it's helpful. But remembering that we need the ascension of Christ is the answer. That our gospel presentations aren't complete without it. Brian alluded to that in communion. Often our gospel presentations go something like this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died for our sins. Well, okay, that's a very important part of it, but it's incomplete and in fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ had not been raised, then we are still dead in our sins. So, even better, nay, essential is the resurrection, when we add that to our gospel presentations. We don't have the gospel without the death and resurrection of Jesus. Those are the absolute bare bones of it. We also might include the reality and the hope that Jesus will come back one day to judge the living and the dead. That's awesome. That's awesome absolutely correct, but we might ask the question, what's Jesus doing right now then? Just sitting on his hands, enjoying a quiet vacation? As Patrick Schreiner says in his little book on the ascension, when we don't include the ascensions, it's like we hit pause on the biblical narrative, much like a video game or an audio book. But what we're going to find is that the ascension helps us resolve the narrative and keep Jesus' work unpaused. So, with that, we're going to dive into Acts chapter one, verses one through eleven, to see why we need the ascension. And I'm going to hopefully convince you today that we need it through three movements. So, again, Acts chapter one, one through eleven, is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. I'd ask that you turn with me there. Again, if you're new to the Bible. Um, Acts is in the New Testament, right after the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and right before the book of Romans. And what I'm going to do today is read the text along, I ask you to read along with me, and then go back, and we're going to go back and look at several key things in the passage and tease out three reasons we need the ascension. So read along with me, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. The first point that I want to illustrate to you as to why we need the ascension is this. The ascension is essential because we need Jesus' humanly work to continue. We need Jesus's humanly work to continue. And I think I have some slides for these points if you're taking notes today. Notice again what Luke says, our author of this gospel, to Theophilus. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now remember something, Luke and Acts are really one book, the gospel of Luke being kind of volume one, and the book of Acts being volume two. So Luke is telling Theophilus, the person that this narrative has been primarily written to, that his first book contained all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now that's a curious way of putting things. To me, it would make more sense to say that he began to tell him all that he did and taught, right? But yet all the major translations, and again, as I maybe interpret the Greek, concur that this is the best way to put things. As commentator Daryl Bach says, the idea that Jesus began such activity may well suggest that he is still at work as Luke writes his story of the church in Volume 2. He continues, What the early church said and did was rooted in and connected to the activity in which the risen Jesus was involved. Indeed, the point is that without Jesus in his work, one cannot make sense of the church's existence and inactivity." So what exactly is Jesus continuing to do in Acts and continuing to do for us? Well, we're going to see here that Jesus' ascension leads to his active session on our behalf to complete his mission. And I'm going to explain that. To be technical, okay, we started talking today about Jesus' ascension. But to slice and dice a little bit more, Jesus' ascension, when he's taken up in the clouds as we read, is the journey and the session or the sitting at the right hand of the Father is the goal or the destination. And that's where Jesus currently is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So get this. There's a human in the throne room of God. How all that works, I'm not quite sure. But we can say for, some, for, for sure that Jesus did not lose his body as he was some detached soul that floated off into the heavens. No, he had a body. It was a body that was physical and yet spiritual. So I don't know exactly how all that works, but there's a human in the throne room, room of God. But one thing I know for sure, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is active at the right hand of the Father as our prophet, priest, and king. That's the traditional threefold way of breaking down what Jesus' ministry was and now still is. Prophet, priest, and king. I have that, again, on a slide for us. Let me quickly cover these. Because, again, I think we need to hear this as to what Jesus is currently doing now on our behalf. Jesus is a prophet. Again, prophets in the Old Testament were empowered by God's Spirit They proclaimed the word of God. They performed signs and wonders. Think of Moses, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Michael, Elijah, and Isaiah. And in the New Testament, Jesus did all those things too. He possessed the Spirit on earth and declared himself to be often speaking the word of God and then performed countless signs and wonders. Now, in Jesus' ascension and session, he's still doing that prophetic work and actually multiplying it and amplifying it by the outpouring of his spirit on us his church his people he continues to speak through us and through his word and he also gives us the authority to do signs and wonders so through us by the power of the holy spirit john 14:12 becomes a reality let me read that to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater works then these he will do because I am going to the Father. What we need to know is that through the presence of the Spirit, we have Jesus the prophet present with us, ever speaking and guiding us. Jesus is also a priest. He's a prophet, and he's also a priest. Again, in the Old Testament, priests were the mediators between God and people. Right, We have the temple, they acted on behalf of humanity, keeping and guarding that temple, upholding the law, and offering gifts and sacrifices. Jesus does similar things in his earthly ministry, does he not? He uh, upholds the law, he cleanses the temple, he ultimately even offers gifts and sacrifice, his own life as the best and the gift that we ever needed, the best gift and sacrifice. That's why Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 hits home for us, emphasizing this high priestly status that Jesus has. Listen as I read it. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, do you hear that? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And also we have the magnificent verse, one of my favorites, Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost Every square inch of us is another way that we could translate that. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to make intercession for us right now as our priest. Hear this again, friends. Jesus is right now at the hand of the Father, living to make intercession for you as the great high priest. And then lastly, Jesus is a king. In the Old Testament, kings were to rule with righteousness and justice, conquer Israel's enemies, promote the law, and bless the world. We know that many of Israel's kings, though, failed to do that. Very, I mean, from the get, they did none of that. So they needed another, Israel needed another king, a better king. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, was that king by living a just and righteous life. Conquering the spiritual enemies of his people. Teaching the law, we would say, maybe more fully. Teasing out things that they had missed. And also blessing the world through sending his spirit and allowing us to be ministers of the, of the reconciliation that he offers. Again, a key text would be Matthew twenty-eight eighteen that says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then, again, based off our own mission statement, what does he say right after that? Go, therefore, and make disciples. So based off of Jesus' authority over every square inch of the universe, we're to therefore then go and make disciples. So right now, Jesus is in the throne room with all authority here, there in heaven and on earth. And he won't rest until his enemies and ours are put under his feet. I really wish I could go on But let me instead bring this to a close on one applicational point for us. We might be asking, so what? Through, so what? I mean, what what does this really do for me? Well, let me tell you this. Through Jesus' active, current role as prophet, priest, and king, we have childlike access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. Here's the way that I think Pastor Tim Keller put it so eloquently. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water, is a child. We have that kind of access. End quote. There's no time, there's no place, and there's nothing that we can't bring before our Father because of Jesus' active, current ministry at his right hand. And that's why we needed his humanly work to continue. We needed Jesus' humanly work to continue And we also need the power of the promised Holy Spirit. That's point two. We need the power of the promised Holy Spirit. So again, as we read, Jesus stuck around for 40 days, continuing to teach the apostles about the kingdom of God and also prove himself alive. And while staying with them, he told them to stay in Jerusalem so that they might be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke 24 says, clothed with power from on high, the one that Jesus promised to send. He also tells them that later after they ask about the kingdom of Israel, that they need not focus on that part, but instead get ready for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them so that they might be witnesses to the ends of the earth. So what we need to spell out here is that it was better that Jesus leave us so that we could all have unfettered access to God through the power of his Holy Spirit. And sometimes, though, that's not exactly intuitive for us, right? Honestly, sometimes we wish that Jesus was here in the flesh and blood so we could go ask him those questions that we have. And yet, it's a better way now that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. I love the way the theologian Herman Boving says it. Physically and locally restricted, time and space-bound contact with Jesus. When he ascends, it makes way for spiritual, inward, deep, unbreakable in eternal fellowship." End quote. Now, some of us may be thinking, though, what does that power actually look like? I mean, we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, and um, we're unsure maybe what that looks like in our lives. Well, I can at least tell you here in the book of Acts what that looks like. In Acts, that word power is used 10 times, and it's often referring to miracles, and other acts of power in the book, but it's also referenced to enablement, especially in word and in act. And while we know that God is acting by mighty wonders and signs and miracles all over the world, including here in the US, I don't necessarily want to focus on that part of the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Instead, I think we need to hear about the Spirit's power in our everyday mundane lives. Every day, we're probably faced Uh, Sorry, uh, the Spirit enables us to fight our sin every day and proclaim the gospel. That's the everyday mundane part of it. We're faced with dozens of decisions each day, whether we realize it or not, and whether we're going to fight our sin or proclaim the gospel. We can fight that sin so naturally that we can fight now that sin that so naturally comes to us. Again, um, Augustine of Hippo, one of the church fathers, I think is helpful here. He lays out four states of man, and he says basically this, before the fall, humanity and I have a slide for this, humanity was able to sin, was able to sin and able not to sin. So before the fall, they, they could have sinned and they could have not sinned. But then after the fall, humanity was not able not to sin, basically that they're going to sin no matter what. But upon belief in Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are able to not sin what used to entangle us, snare us, drag us down into the muck and the mire. Now we can overcome that and battle it by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what the Holy Spirit does is carry us to the final glorified state where we are not able to sin. Sin will no longer be a thing and never can enter in again. And so the Holy Spirit is present in our lives to fight that sin by his power and also... We, are, um, we can let that help us proclaim the gospel. So take comfort that you, are not, that you are able to not sin because of God's work in you. Something that the Father wants, that the Son intercedes for us, and that the Holy Spirit affects in us. I also mentioned that the Spirit's power in pro- proclaiming the gospel, being Jesus' witnesses, I think you read a little further in Acts, and you get to chapter 6. And we have Stephen, who's a, who's a present figure. He was a deacon, and not too long after his uh, deacon appointmentship, we're not exactly how long, but he was stoned to death for his bold proclamation of the gospel. And he's doing mighty things. He's drawing crowds and attention, and people come to contend and dispute with him. And here's what Acts chapter 6.10 says. But they could not withstand the wisdom And the spirit with which he was speaking. That's not Stephen's doing, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we need to trust that God is going to speak through the Holy Spirit in our lives, even when we aren't necessarily sure what we're going to say. Let me give you a quick example of this in my life. I often withhold the pastor card as long as possible when when I'm talking to new people. And why is that? Because oftentimes, at least out here, that is a quick way to shut down any delightful conversation, okay? Uh, I, you would not believe how just how, boom, quickly it goes from zero, or sorry, from like somewhere, oh yeah, we're you know, living life, and then bang, I'm a pastor, they're gone. So, but I've been praying that I just put that fear and selfishness aside of wanting to have, you know, this type of relationship or good conversation and let people know that it's what I do. Trusting that the Holy Spirit will guide me. Now, obviously, there may be ways to continue conversations after that, and I, and I just trust that God will, will guide me in that. But here's my application point maybe for you. When coworkers or family ask, what are you going to do on the weekend? Guess what you should do? Include the fact that you're going to be in church and just see what happens. Obviously, in our in in our life, we still have to do our research for conversations. We have to pray and know our Bibles, deepen our faith. But also we can trust that God will work when we tell others about Jesus. Even even when we might, you know, communicate messily or fumble by fumbling speech, God can still use that to change lives. And ultimately, we are imperfect vessels proclaiming a perfect savior. And if we can get that across, then we're going to be okay. Again, we need the promised power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And lastly today, I'm going to tell you one more thing that why we need the ascension. is because we need a mission that won't fail. We need a mission that won't fail. Notice again in verse 8. After the disciples are told that they'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus says they'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria until the end of the earth. That's really, honestly, a roadmap for the book of Acts. If you go and you trace that out, you'll see that that's kind of what Acts does. But it also spells out the progression of the gospel. Proclaiming it is a worldwide task for those early apostles, but also for us. When we, and so we participate in line with the disciples when we proclaim that gospel worldwide. But notice also verse 11, where after Jesus ascends, two men, two angels, tell the disciples to stop gawking and get to work. They say, this same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. A few things to point out here. Notice the repetition of the word will. Will. You will be my witnesses, and Jesus will come back. That future tense is built off the guarantee of God. We have a mission that won't, will not fail, because it's ultimately God the Father's mission to make His glory known throughout all the earth through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to be his witnesses. This same Jesus, who ascends in glory, will come back in glory to judge the living and the dead. And in the meantime, we now boldly go out and be his witnesses because we know that the mission won't fail. It won't because we have the guarantee of God behind it. But you might be thinking, what if I fail, though? I mean, I stumble, I sin, I falter, I shy away from sharing the good news about Jesus. What if I fail? Take comfort because God's mission is not dependent upon you. You have power and help on your side, and that means you will not lose. Again, but let me illustrate one more thing. One of my favorite verses and passages is when Jesus is, I think, coming into Jerusalem and everyone's crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, the King of David, Hosanna in the highest, right? And a lot of the leaders rebuke the people and say, Hey, they, what are you, Jesus, why are you letting them say that? And Jesus says, Even if they didn't, the stones would cry out. And whether or not it's a great applicational point for me, when I read that text, I remember that even if I was not here to praise Jesus, God can make a way with mere stones. I am not essential to God's plan. But because Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent his Spirit upon us, we get to participate with him. And we cannot, we will not lose on his mission because God is the guarantor of that mission. You know, this reminded me of a video I saw many years back. You Seahawks fans will like this. Marshawn Lynch, back when he was an Oakland Raider, he was suspended for a game, okay? And uh, he decided that he was going to go back to high school while he was off for a game, right? And so he was playing football with a local Oakland high school team. Now, you can go and find this, this video. You can just type in, Mark on, Marshawn Lynch goes back to high school. And he's literally in pads with all the guys, and you watch it, and he's on like, you know, two times speed, and everyone else is like half speed, okay? So you're watching it, and he's just rumbling through. They can't tackle him. He's, again, Marshawn's not even, I would say, going full speed in the video, and yet he's juking, demolishing, smashing. These giant defensive linemen are trying to tackle him. They just can't do anything to him. I mean, he's just un- unstoppable. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the kids who have him on their side of the ball they know that they will not lose the scrimmage. He's just too good. All they need to do is do their job, even poorly, honestly, and that'll be enough for Marshawn. But the thing is, oddly enough, what happens is, when we are faced with scenarios like that, we don't just sit back and let the person who's dominating do it all. What, What often happens is, we wanna go harder. We want to do a good job for that person who's us because we know we won't lose. We go all in. My hope is that you will feel that way knowing that in the end, God wins, that you're here to do your part and participate, and yet we're humbled in remembering that we are not an essential part of his plan. God can make a way. But we get to participate. Again, it's all based on the fact that we are saved by sheer grace, and yet God chooses to include you, include us, a broken vessel, as part of His plan. And if we fail sometimes, so be it. We're still saved by grace, and we are not defined by our failures. But know this God's plan will still march on. March on? March on? He will get the final say. He will get the victory. And the amazing thing is you get to participate. That means that you can go all in and go boldly for God because he will not lose. He's on your side. And that's why we need Jesus at the right hand of the Father to give us a mediator who is a king, who's currently Lord of all, putting all enemies under his feet and consummating all things in himself. So go out boldly each day because the end of the story has already been written. God gets the victory. God gets the glory. Let me conclude with this. The ascension is essential. We need it. Because the mission of Jesus, given by the Father, continues through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. His work continues. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And he gave us a mission that won't fail. So I pray, based off that, that you go out boldly and that you go run the race set before you, knowing that God wins, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and we will be okay. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this day. And I ask that you would remind us that your son Jesus is at work right now. He's with you in the throne room, interceding on our behalf. I pray, Father, that we would be, again, knowing that your spirit is empowering us, enabling us to live for you perhaps imperfectly, but we have that power and that spirit within us. And we go out boldly because ultimately, again, we know that we have a mission that won't, that will not fail because you are the one who will complete it. We pray all this in Jesus' name.